Shalom Chem, Erev Tov. We are continuing in the life of Rabban Gamliel. Tonight, the 8th of Adar, is the 12-month Azkara anniversary of passing of my dear uncle, Yitzchak Daniel ben Moshe Zayef. Hamerachem al kol b'utav yechus v'yachmol v'rachem al nefesh ruach u'nshama shel hanifetar b'shem tov min ha'olam. Yitzchak Daniel ben Moshe Zayef. Ruach Adonai tenechenu b'ganedun hu v'chol b'nei Yisrael shokhbim mo. בכלל החמים בסליחות וכן ירצון ולומר אמן. איזה שמה שלהב עניין גן עדן בעזרת השם יתברך. The tonight show will be dedicated in his memory. The Gemara teaches us a Masechet Berachot. Tana, we learned this last week, but I'm repeating for the sake of today's conversation. We were taught, source sheet, source 30. Tana, that day that they removed Rabban Gamliel and replaced him with Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Azariah, that day they studied the entire tractate of Eduyot. That's what, that whole Masechet comes from there. And everywhere that you see the Gemara says, on that day, on that day, on that day, that was on that day. There was no halakha in the Beit Midrash that they did not actually reach a practical conclusion, meaning nothing was pending. And even Rabban Gamliel did not leave the Beit Midrash even for one moment, meaning even though he was removed from his post against his will by the Chachamim, nonetheless, they still kept him there, and he stayed there. I mean, he still felt, I'm a Talmud Chacham, and I have to learn. And I ended off with you last week, telling you that if every time Rabban Gamliel said, I'm not doing this for my sake, I'm not doing this for my father's sake, I'm doing this for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's sake, this proves it. This behavior of his, that he still came to the Bed Midrash, despite how he felt about how he'd been treated, tells you everything about him. The Gemara relates uh, Mishnah here, in which there was a Machaloket. Ditanan, in Source 31, we learned in the Mishnah. Bo bayom on that day, ba Yehuda ger amoni lifnehem bevet midrash. Yehuda, who was a convert from Amon, Amon and Moab, those are, he came to the bet midrash. Amar lehem, he asks them, ma ani lavo bakahal? Am I allowed to marry into the Jewish people? Why would he think not? Very good. Amoni is not allowed to enter, but now he's Jewish. Uh That's really the question. Meaning, how did this even happen in the first place? But here they're coming to him. Amar lo Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel tells him, Asur Yes, you're Jewish, perhaps, but you're not allowed to marry into Am Yisrael. Amar lo Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua tells him, Mutar you are allowed to marry to the Jewish people. No, notice who's arguing again here. It's Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua. Meaning, it doesn't make a difference. He's the head of Yeshiva, another head of Yeshiva. These two are what we call Abar Plukta. They are the, the chess mates of each other. That's what they are. That's what they do. Not to pick on each other personally. It happens to be that these two approaches are always clashing with each other. And that's fine. In a bit of Midrash where everybody's the same, it's not a bit of Midrash. 
And there could be that there's a whole camp of Rabban Gamliel Aitz and Rabban Yehoshua Aitz. That could be. But at the end of the day, Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yehoshua are sitting in the same Ben Midrash. They don't say, oh, let's go open a different Ben Midrash. We don't get along with each other. This is all a matter of learning Torah. Amarlo Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel tells him, don't you know the Pasuk already says explicitly that an Amuni and a Moavi cannot enter into the congregation of Israel? Rabbi Yoshua tells him, Do Amon and Moav live in the same place Amon and Moav used to live? Sancharib, Sanakarib, the king of Assyria already came up, and he confused all of the nations with each other. He says that Sancharib already came, and he, Sancharib, was a troublemaker. He removed all the borders between all people. Maybe you could argue he was very open-minded. He believed that everybody should mingle with everybody. He sept- brought all the nations and moved them from one place to another place, and this nation mixed with that nation, and that's what he did. He played chess with the world. And therefore, says Rabbi Yoshua, how do you know that Ammon and Moab are the same Ammon and Moab? We say, call the Parish, Meruba Parish, but you could say this, likely this is the correct Nikud. We have an interesting halakha. You're walking along the road. bring me a Shulchan Aruch, uh, that has, uh, up until, tell me volume one where it ends. No, next one. Yeah, that one. So I feel like that's the one that's missing all the pages. This one. Sorry guys, I'm not familiar with this print of the Shukhanavuch. I'm busy flipping pages and I don't know what I'm looking at. Maran writes the following scenario. Maran says in Yoredeam, Tet Chanuyot, you have nine stores, Mochot Basar Shechuta, which sell Shechuta meat. What is Shechuta meat? Yeah, very good. Yeah, because. It's done shechita to it, as opposed to what? 
Nevela or Terefa, right? So nine stores on the street, let's say Governor Drive, they all sell meat, nine of them are kasher. Vachat mocheret basar nevela. And one of them sells non-kasher meat. Velakach mechat mehen. And you remember buying meat in one of the stores? Ve'en yadua meze mehen lakach. But you don't remember which one you bought it from. Harize asur. It's forbidden. Shekol kavua kemechza al mechza dame. Because everything that is certain, we treat as half and half. Oh, this is not the important part of the conversation. Avad basar hanimtza bashuk. But meat, which you find on the roadside, like in the, in the market, or in the hands of a non-Jew, is permissible. Meaning you're walking down Governor Drive, and you see a guy say, hey, you want some meat? I got it in one of the stores around here. It's permissible. Because most of the stores are kasher. They call the paresh meruba paresh. Because when something is separated, we assume it separated itself from the majority and not from the minority. Meaning, where did it come from? It probably came, if you're a betting person, nine out of ten chances, it came from a kasher store. Yeah, absolutely. It, a, it could be, we have one more Chabaruch right there in that room. Um, it could be that this meat you're eating is actually terefa. It doesn't matter. I think here sometimes, by the way, we get stuck in, in Judaism on whether or not reality, a scientific reality is what is important or not. I mean, if you would be able to test somehow shechuta meat versus terefa, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here there's a rule in halakha. This sometimes bothers people with batel b'shishim. Halakha is telling you that now it's no longer a problem. It's actually been interesting to me to notice that it could be that it's the influence, a negative influence of all times, of, of scientific thinking on halakha that has led people to be strict in all kinds of areas of halakha where the chachamim did not care to be strict. Those chachamim were dealing with halakhic realities. That doesn't have to be the same as... Now, I know what I'm telling you sounds dangerous. It's okay. Uh, but don't worry, because chachamim adds one more sentence. Aval chachamim asruhu... The Chachamim say, nonetheless, you can't buy it, even if all the people sell it are Jewish, and even if the guy walking around is uh, Jewish, meaning Chachamim furthered us away from eating Nevelah or Terefa. But at the end of the day, the Halakha, as it's understood, is that if you have nine stores that are selling Terefa meat, and one that is selling Keshera meat, and you find a piece of meat in the street, you can assume that that meat is Kasher. Now, this leads to fascinating conversations in terms of it's a doubt as to biblical law and being stringent. And I didn't come here to teach you uh, this particular halakha. I came to tell you that this rule called the parish, meruba parish, is something we use in halakha. I mean, what Rabbi Oshua is about to tell us here is something that we don't just say regarding Amunim, the Sancheriv, well, mixed around the world, but rather this is something that we talk about in other places in halakha as well. And as such, what he's telling you, the call the parish, meruba parish. Most of the goyim, are they from Ammon or Moab? No. no. How many Ammonim and Moabim could there be in the world? So the fact that you think maybe he's from Ammon or Moab doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, maybe he's not from Ammon or Moab. And called the Parish, meaning we assume he comes from the majority of non-Jews who are able to marry into Am Israel, then opposed to assuming that he comes from the minority of non-Jews 
that don't come from Am Yisrael. Now, this doesn't... Absolutely. You know, I have, I have a friend. I have a friend. Truth is, it wasn't even a friend. It was a former congregant of mine, not from Arakina, who needed to get married in Israel. He's born in Israel. His parents made Aliyah to Israel like in the 1948. It's not a, from the Jews that came from Libya. His parents got married in Libya. His whole family were raised in Israel, went to Beth Knesset every show, regular Libyan Jews. They served in the army. They were, came time for this man to get married, listen carefully, to get married, the chief rabbi had told him, we need you to prove that you're Jewish. He said, my parents are registered as Jews. No, well, the state of Israel said it doesn't matter. We need to prove that. How do you want me to prove they're Jewish? Bring us the ketubah. He says, they left their ketubah in Libya when they were running away from Libya. It's good, so go to Libya and look for the ketubah. That's a practical uh, solution. Let's go look in Libya. I mean, this guy, who is certainly Jewish, now has to prove himself Jewish, and he can't, because in today's world of expectations, there's no way to assume, there's no way to uh, live up to all the requirements of those who wish for us to prove to them that we are Yehudim. Baruch. Did I make a bracha on the water already? I drank some of it, no? I don't know. I'm not only Yeah. To ask, can I get married? No, this I told you that if we were to learn this in a way of Agadam. I have a feeling I don't want to say anything that I'm not I'm not uh, I have some answers I don't want to say anything that I'm not certain of let me I didn't. But I didn't finish yet. Let's let's read oh, what okay. they say, and then we'll, then ask me if the question is still relevant. Because Rabban Gamliel doesn't like what he said. So if you don't like it, then maybe you're like Rabban Gamliel. Yeah, Rabban Gamliel. Amal Rabban Gamliel in verse 33. And already says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu promises that he will return the captives of Ammon, and the Ammonites have returned to their land. Source 34, Amar Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua says, He said, it says, the prophet also tells us in Amos, and I will return the captives of Israel. That's what it says, but it still didn't happen. So, what do they do? Miyad hitiruhu lavo Immediately, they permitted him to enter the congregation. Now, Oren, let me ask you, um, 
one thing, and that's the beginning of this Gemara. What do they call him? I have an answer. Okay, I'm going to tell you two answers that I think, but I didn't see this anywhere. I'm not, I've never learned this piece of Gemara in the proper depth that it requires. Uh, this could mean one of two things. Either he was called Yehuda the Ger from Ammon, because that's who he was, even though at the time of the story, he wasn't Jewish. And he was asking, can I convert? And they're debating, can I convert or not? Or, or the other option, Rabbanit, uh, can you bring me Shulchan Ruch, the next volume, and you there also, where does it go up to? No, next one. What's the next one? Maran writes the following. Goy o Goya, a non-Jew, Sheba ve'amar, and they come to us, we don't know who they are, they come to us and they say, I converted in that rabbi's betadin karaui properly. We don't allow him to enter the community, meaning to marry until he brings witnesses that show us that he converted somewhere. Now, if you understand here the language of Maran, technically what you can understand from Maran is that you only need one person to convert. Only one of the three people who signed in the contract is doing the converting. The other two are merely there as witnesses. More similar to a ketubah than it is an actual bedin. Yes? It's for that reason that we understand the laws of bedin as they relate to conversion differently than others do. Maran continues. And if we see these people, they act like Jewish people. And they fulfill all of the mitzvot. They're no longer just random people. We treat them like we assume that they are not just converts, but righteous converts. Even if we don't have witnesses that tell us, oh, we know that these people converted, the fact that they said that they converted and that they act like righteous Jews, we treat them for most intents and purposes as Jews. Nonetheless, if they come to marry into the Jewish people, we do not marry them until they bring witnesses to their conversion. I mean, here, you come to my bed, can I say? You tell me you're Jewish. How much do I have to dig? You act like a Jew, you pray like a Jew, you know how to do uh, the brachot on Torah, you know how to do things, but today you're living in a whole new world. There are Jews who come and tell they're Jewish and they don't even know which direction to, to do Judaism. But the assumption was somebody comes, they know how to pray, they know how to live. I don't check everybody, are you Jewish or you're not Jewish? But now you ask me to marry you? Do you want to marry my child? 
You want me to officiate your wedding? Okay, I'm going to start asking questions. For 20 years that you were in my community, I didn't ask any questions. It doesn't matter. You're becheskat ger tzedek. So it could be what's happening here to Yehuda HaGer is that he was accepted as a Jewish person. But now he's coming to ask a question because it's time for marriage and there's all kinds of paperwork they're doing about him. That's a theory of mine. I'm, like I told you, I'm speaking out of, out of the air. Okay? It could be, and it could be that it doesn't. And so I'm just saying, this Gemara is something that we should look into, but this reminds me of this Hanukkah. Want to hear a fascinating Hanukkah already here? I don't care if we don't finish what we're supposed to learn today. But if someone comes to us and he says, Shehu Goy, he says, I'm not Jewish. And he says, And he says, but I converted in a Bedin. We trust him that he's Jewish. What's different about this case from the last case? Now, the first time he said, I converted in the Bedin of Zonzo. Here he says, I'm not Jewish, but I convert I mean I wasn't Jewish, but I converted in the Bedin of Zonzo. Neman, we believe him. Why? Listen to this. This is a very important halachic rule. Shehapesha Asar, who hitir. The mouth that told me that he wasn't Jewish, and now I believe him that he wasn't Jewish, is the same mouth that told me that he converted to Judaism. Meaning I can't believe him that he's not Jewish. And then not believe him that he converted. Once I believe him that he's not Jewish, then I have to believe that he converted. I have to, you can't only believe half of him. This is a story that happened with me not, not forever ago. But the Kohen had to get married and the situation was complicated. And when it came, push came to Shav, he said, I'm not a Kohen. He's not a Kohen. He was the one who told me in the first place he was a Kohen. But after doing his research, he reached the conclusion that he's not a Kohen. And with other factors that were involved in that story, the same mouth that told me in the first place it was a Kohen is the same mouth that afterwards told me that he's no longer, or the way that he was born, uh, you understand already, that he's no longer a Kohen. It says, When does this apply? In the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, when the Jews were ruling over Israel, and the Chazakah was the Jews live in Israel. But outside of Israel, he has to bring proof that he's Jewish. Okay. Meaning, outside of Israel, or perhaps in an Israel, the Rambam says that it's not exactly a Jewish country. We have to be more concerned than when Maran was writing these halachot originally, or Chachamim were dealing with these halachot originally. But that's not the fascinating halakha I was going to tell you. The next halakha is even more fascinating. We once spread through the laws of conversion together. It would be wise for us one day to just do like a two-month course. and It's not that long, but... It says Maran. Oh, this one. Mishu Mukhzak Bisrael. Somebody who's supposed, we, we treat him like Jewish. I mean, the guy from the first case. He says, I converted. Who converted me? Myself. I converted myself. I went to the mikveh. I jumped inside. I'm Jewish. Is he Jewish? 
there are no witnesses. Meaning, yeah, he might be Jewish. I mean, he might have gone through a giyu, but there's no way for him to prove that he's a ger. In which case, is he really Jewish? This is kind of like the question, if a man goes to the forest and says something and a woman doesn't hear him, is he still wrong? This, this question means, nobody heard him. I'm joking. And nobody heard him here to be able to tell us that he's Jewish. Only himself. He said, I converted me, between me and myself. Yesh banim. If he has children, eno neeman al habanim. We don't trust him about his children. Aval neeman al atzmo, l'shavei nafshei chadicha di isura, l'aser bevat Yisrael, at shidbog bifnei bedim. Listen carefully what happens here. We thought he was Jewish, always. He reacted Jewish. And then one day we started digging. And he says, uh, I didn't really convert. I converted by myself. For 20 years we considered you Jewish. Your kids are in Jewish school. Your kids are married to Jewish people. Says Maran, listen to the halakha here. We trust him enough to make himself not Jewish. I mean, he told us, I didn't really convert. But now that he's not really Jewish, he has no right to bear testimony against his children. And his children, therefore, are still considered Jewish because he doesn't have the right to retract their Jewish stance and he has to go to Bedin and convert again. Do you understand this? By the way, if you try to read the Shulchan Aruch and you also try to live life the way that orthodoxy teaches about you, you will never be able to reconcile the two because they have nothing to do with each other. Yes. By the way, this is very similar to the story of the meat, which is is it really kosher or is it really not? It doesn't really matter. Well, I would say that's very practical for faith. Yes. I was going to say, because somebody could be growing up in whatever circumstance and then maybe come about like you see the other growing up now, they marry this or that. Of course, come to childhood and they go back on it and then there was a conversion at the front of it or this or that or something. Like I, I, That's a very almost modern flick of the Yes. Right, so in that case, if he would say something about himself, he would disqualify himself. But he couldn't disqualify his children. There's a famous book called The Broken Bracelet that all ends up with exactly that scenario. Interesting. She was a buffer and then finds out when they're engaged that his mom is not necessary. Again, you have to remember these laws exist for a reason. The chaos that we see today in the Jewish community this one conversion is good, this one is not good. After 50 years, you start telling people they're not Jewish anymore. All this stuff that happens, our Chachamim did everything they could to avoid it. And if Chachamim Yisrael were dealing according to the laws of the Shulchan Aruch, a lot of things would look differently. By the way, it's a double-edged sword. The double-edged sword here is just like we see a person acting Jewish for enough time that we assume that they're Jewish and they can't disqualify their children. The opposite can also be true. Um, I'm going to turn off the camera for right now. Those of you who are here, you're here.